0: So, Prakash, this might actually be our most important episode yet. What are you talking about it, Jay? I consider all our episodes important. I love them all equally. I mean important in terms
1: of the good that this one can do. Per your analogy, not every kid is equally useful to the world.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's probably the only joke we'll be able to squeeze in this episode. Because in this episode, we tackle mental health. Which is a pretty heavy subject. While we usually try to lighten up the conversation, no matter the topic, we do want to do this one justice, so our focus will be to ask clear and meaningful questions. The good news is that our guest, Benjamin Lakin, is not only an expert on the topic, but a relaxed and passionate dude as well, so it won't feel
1: heavy-handed. And I have to imagine that this is a topic that touches everyone's lives, and I'm no exception. To be frank, mental health challenges have been present in my life ever since I can remember, before I ever understood it, and definitely before it was ever openly discussed. It's also been an increasingly important issue in my adult life, as loved ones of mine have been severely affected by it. It makes me wish that I knew more about it earlier on, but it's definitely never too late.
0: And real talk, you know from our regular conversations, this is something I constantly struggle with as well. My friends know how often I have to try to balance my personal desire for success with my own happiness, and how sometimes I choose my ambition at the expense of my own health, which to this day, I still don't know how to manage. But I do know that it's a challenge that you have to work through one day at a time. But enough about us. How about some quick facts to get this episode started? For sure.
1: According to the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, also known as CAMH, one in five Canadians experiences a mental illness or addiction problem in any given year. And by the time Canadians have reached
0: 40 years old, half of them have or would have had a mental illness. And looking into it, around 4,000 Canadians die by suicide per year. That's an average of approximately 11 suicides a day. The good news is that the overall trend for suicides is declining, but it is still the second leading cause of death for people ages 15 to 24. Also, at least half a million Canadians a week miss work due to issues with their mental health. And get this, the cost of a disability leave for a mental illness is about double the cost of a leave due to a physical illness. Wow. Lastly,
1: investing in mental health initiatives such as parent education and early childhood education result in better outcomes for mental health problems and illnesses such as depression and anxiety. So that means for every dollar invested, we as taxpayers save anywhere from $1.80 to over $17.
0: And in the interview, Ben states that this is around $7. The point is that addressing mental health is good for everyone. Also, heads up, when we recorded this interview, it was after Game 5 of the 2019 NBA Finals between the Raptors and the Warriors, so if you hear us talking about basketball, you're still listening to the right episode.
1: We also recognize that this podcast is longer than usual. In editing the podcast, we recognize that there was a lot of valuable information, and we didn't want to cut it out because of how many people struggle with their mental health. So, we promise that if you listen to the entire episode, it will be worth your time. And
0: with that, my name is Prakash. My name is Ajay. And this is the Real Talk Roundtable.
1: Welcome to the Real Talk Roundtable. With us today, we have Benjamin Lakin. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure. Benjamin Lakin is an accomplished and sought after leader in Canada's mental health community. He's a supervisor of Ottawa Public Health's mental health team, co-chair of Suicide Prevention Ottawa, and is on the board of directors for the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention. Benjamin has developed and led major initiatives from the local to national level such as the Have That Talk anti-stigma and education campaign, the National Mental Health Caregiver Guide, and succeeded in making the city of Ottawa the first city in Canada and largest in the world to offer suicide prevention workshops to all city staff. Benjamin has been recognized for his passion, innovation, and leadership in the field, and has received several awards for his work, including the one from the Centre of Addiction and Mental Health, otherwise known as CAMH, who named Benjamin as one of the 150 leading Canadians for mental health.
0: So, Ben, to kick it off, I'm personally feeling anxious about a situation right now. At the time of yeah. this recording, game five of the Raptors versus Warrior Series has just happened last night. We lost by one point. I just want to get your thoughts on the Raptors right now.
2: Oh, wow. It is. Uh, that was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it was stressful. It was an incredible run near the end where Kawhi just looked like he was going to take it over um some definite questions around at the 12 second mark did they forget that they just needed two points to win the championship <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a weird feeling I, I couldn't figure it out it was just it felt like it was a preseason game for 12 seconds there yeah um, so yeah i'm pretty uh, i'm pretty shook as well uh certainly it was stressful but i do think uh and jay from jay and dan on tsn uh, boldly predicted a game six win and I'm feeling that same vibe. Uh, I'm feeling like we're going to go in there and and, uh, and shut it down. In talking about game six, I really hope that it's the one that we win. Even though it's an away
0: game, it'd be great to win in a home game. But I'll take anything at this point for that mm-hmm. ring. Um, you. And you know what? Game, game six for the six, not a bad ring to it. So hopefully when this episode is uh, published that uh, it's in celebratory news and we're not looking back
2: at this as, oh, remember when we were hopeful? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Good to be hopeful. I will say we'll get into that later, but 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 being hopeful is is a major factor.
0: Well, let's get right into it. So on a more serious note, let's start with your personal motivation on why you got involved in this field.
2: Why is mental health awareness so important to you? Yeah, thanks. So so from a from a young age, I I grew up in a household uh, with a dad as a, a clinical psychologist, um, and I was really fortunate in that mental health was something we talked about in the home. Uh, we, we, we had support from, from our parents, but it wasn't, it wasn't strange or looked upon negatively at all that if we had to talk to someone else for, for any reason, it was encouraged by our, both of our parents and our family. Um, so we grew up in, grew up in that way, which was wonderful. But as I started to come through my teen years, um, a family member of ours was struggling with their mental health in a pretty significant way. Uh, a good friend of mine from school was struggling with their mental health in a, in a significant way. And it really rocked me to my core and really shook me up how how much people pulled away and, and how much people didn't lean in to support them in the same way that they would if it was any other chronic health issue. And I remember thinking at probably around 14, 15, th- just how unfair that was that they weren't getting the same love and support and people weren't coming by our house and dropping off food and – flowers and get well soon cards, uh, like they would for other health issues. And I remember having that feeling saying, I I'd like to do something about that. I I I don't know what and I don't you know, I don't think I had that figured out. But um and I didn't even know the word stigma. Um but but I but I felt it and it really rocked me to my core and I thought at that time I'd like to do something about that.
1: And that's kind of what we wanted to ask you next. You know, this is first of all an astute observation at your age to kind of realize that. But with the exception of your your household kind of circumstances, where you said your father was actually in a profession in and around something that made it more comfortable to talk about this, um, you know, a lot of people's lives, like Prakash is saying, are impacted by this. Um, they might recognize it, and they might recognize that kind of disparity between a physical illness and a mental illness, and the way people approach it. But not many people. And not saying that they should, but. Not many people make that next step into actually getting involved um, and promoting awareness. So, what was that that watershed moment for you? What at what point did you actually decide to get into promoting mental health?
2: Yeah, so I I, I had another experience. So I, I was I was in university at this point, and I was I was studying psychology and and business, and not knowing where I wanted to go with my career. But during my university time, I started uh volunteering at the children's hospital with the mental health program and later working there and it was really solidified for me when i started working at the children's hospital in the mental health program and and seeing the stigma that was attached so when we talk about stigma what what we're talking about is negative misconceptions uh a negative understanding and a lack of understanding towards a particular thing. And there can be stigmas towards lots of things. I was a skateboarder as a kid, and there was certainly a stigma associated <laughs> with me and my skateboarding friends skateboarding around like we were going to cause trouble when in fact we were just looking for a good set of stairs to jump down or something like that. But, but So stigma can be attached to lots of folks, right? Different cultures, uh, genders, and, and mental health and mental illness are no different. You were instrumental in getting the
0: city of Ottawa to work towards providing all 17,000 employees with Safe Talk training. I personally have done Safe Talk training through university, but for our listeners, what is Safe Talk and why did you push for this training to be implemented specifically?
2: Yeah, thanks thanks for that. So so Safe Talk is a, a three-hour workshop that takes the the individual participants through the, the kind of the idea and the notion that individuals around you, including yourself, uh, might be thinking about suicide and introduces us to the idea that it's not such an absurd or out there notion that, that people might have those thoughts. And in fact, it very much in some ways is a, is a part of being human. is It's about thinking about life, thinking about death and thinking about pain and, and suffering, but also thinking about hope and hopefulness and and being connected to others. And so it, it introduces to the idea that individuals might be thinking about suicide and takes the participants through, what are some warning signs? I don't love that word, warning signs, but what are some, uh, it's actually what it's called in the in the workshop, is invitations. When we when we give somebody an invitation, we expect in some way to get a response. And even unconsciously, most times really unconsciously, individuals who are thinking about suicide are, are providing invitations to people. So it can be in the things that they're saying, uh, in terms of, I don't wanna be here anymore, it could be giving away possessions, uh, it can be their demeanor, and their and their attitude has shifted drastically over the course of of weeks. So it's not a, a you're not looking for a change over the course of one day, but but over the course of weeks, and so it, it opens up people's eyes and thinking to to what might someone's invitations be, and then it allows you to practice having that. I'll be honest, difficult conversation about asking someone, and when you ask them, asking them in a really compassionate way, what you've been seeing, hearing, and learning. So that the question that you're posing to them doesn't come out of nowhere. So uh, you're going to bring up examples, and you know, it's someone's name is Dave, and you say to Dave, you know, I notice you've been missing work a lot, and uh, that's really unlike you, and you haven't been coming to volleyball or trivia night, and uh, and you, you haven't been, you know, kind of acting like yourself a lot, Dave. And so I wanted to check in with you, and I care about you, and, um, and I was wondering, Dave, are you thinking about suicide? So it doesn't come out of nowhere for Dave. You're you're giving him the rationale. And the reason, what you've heard and sensed and learned, uh, and then you're going to listen, and, and then your role after that is to is to help connect them to uh, someone who can take it from there—a distress center, 911, if it, if you have to. But but ha- and, and letting them know you're there for them. And for for most times that, that conversation happens, uh, people are concerned and scared to have it for fear of the person getting angry at them, or you know this can have negative ramifications. From from studies, what they found is that the vast majority of the responses from the individual is that of relief, even if they're not thinking about suicide. That someone cared so much to frame it in such a way, uh, to show respect, to show caring, and a lot of times we hear, "No, I'm not," but thank you. Um, and maybe later they come back to the person, or uh, and if they do say they are, uh, most of the time they're they're open to being connected, and and uh, and that's part of the training you learn about local community resources and. Uh, you go through an activity and exercise uh, a mock run through uh, of how to connect someone over so it's it's a really wonderful workshop and it's part of uh it needs to be part of a a more comprehensive plan of what we're doing around suicide prevention so it's one piece of the pie of suicide prevention Mm -hmm. it's got you know about 12 pieces of the comprehensive suicide prevention pie and that's really a a really important one awareness and education and and training
1: you know ben when it comes to physical health If it were something around like, let's say CPR or training someone how to use a defibrillator, there's a very clear benefit there. And I'm sure that the uptake for that kind of training would be, you know, met with a similar kind of of open-mindedness. But I do find it amazing, like you said, that people were so open and supportive of trying to get uh, public servants trained with safe talk. But what I find odd, though, is that difference between mental and physical health where, sure, they're supportive of the training. But yet we still don't talk about the illnesses themselves or those who might have a mental health challenge the same way. So what I'm really curious to know is, you know, we're talking about training, it's easy to talk about. But in your experience, what typically gets in the way of actually talking about mental health openly?
2: Yeah, so it's a great question. I think I think it takes takes us back to that word stigma and, and understanding and what, what stigma is so when we when we talk about stigma, um, I think there's this, uh, I, I feel anyways, I think there's a misconception sometimes around fully understanding what it is and what it does stigma. So, so I was saying before, um, there's, there's different types of stigma, right? So there can be stigma that we hold for ourselves. So self stigma, there can be societal stigma cultural stigma, workplace stigma. So that's a negative set of beliefs or misconceptions about a particular group.
1: Well, how would you, how would you characterize that though,
2: Ben? Like what would be an example of let's say a social or, or a cultural yeah. stigma? Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, an example would be uh, starting with a, a cultural one would be some languages don't have a word for mental health and mental illness.
0: <laughs>
2: and that's a historical, that's a historical piece that uh, some some cultures and and some parts of of the world uh, see it as uh, something other than a health related issue, and so that that comes back to the definition of a, a a negative misconception or or a misunderstanding about the topic. So so by not being able to name it, by not being able to connect it to a health condition, that puts certain groups at a real disadvantage. That when they are going through it how do they speak about that? And how do they feel supported and trusted um, to name something that doesn't have a name? So so that would be a cultural one. Societally, uh, this is the one that, that, that one of the ones that hurts me the most when I I see it is we do such a great job of supporting individuals who are going through various health conditions, right? And I had mentioned it before, one of our go-to reactions when we hear about that is getting a card, perhaps, you know, making some food. But when it relates to mental health, in particular, someone who's having struggling with their mental health, and and or having an onset of mental illness or living with mental illness, we're much more reluctant and hesitant to reach out to that person for fear of not knowing what to say, perhaps, or uh, that that we don't know what to do. When in fact, in reality, it's the exact same thing to do as someone who would be struggling with any health condition, any health condition at all. What that person needs is for the people in their life that care about them and that they care about is to feel loved, is to feel supported, um, and not feel ashamed and ostracized. And so, you know, what I'm seeing in society at a, at a sort of a macro level is we're doing such a great job at supporting, you know, to our basketball talk earlier, Demar DeRozan when he came out about his mental health struggles, and Kevin Love and and other famous people, if you will, because. That's not right in our face, and that's not someone in our circle. So we're doing a great job at supporting at that macro level people who are struggling. But what we're seeing is when it comes to yourself, so that's self-stigma, so when an individual themselves might be struggling uh, or someone in their life, that's where we're seeing the breakdown. And the biggest negative impact that stigma has is two things. One is it prevents people from getting help soon or, or at all. And we know from any health condition, the sooner that we can get uh, support and treatment from a health professional, be connected to peers, the better the outcome going to be. So stigma really prevents people reaching out early or at all. And the second thing it does, uh, which can almost be as damaging, even though it's not about treatment, is, is it robs people of having a support system going through it. Recovering from anything is near impossible without a support system. And sometimes that can be because the individual hasn't told their friends and their family for that fear of feeling ashamed Um, or it's because those friends and family don't know how to support it and and might feel um, a negative misconception about it. So I think our our yardstick for, are we improving with stigma has to be against those two things. Are we seeing people who are struggling reach out uh, soon and often? And are we seeing people support each other and reach out for support when they need it from, from peers and loved ones?
1: So you're right. I mean, but you, I, you hit on a lot of important points there in that one, people may not know how to deal with it. Two, some of these fears might be self-imposed. Um, and while I think risk might even stem from the stigma, are there, actu- are there any actual genuine risks about, you know, talking about this openly? Like what, what might actually stop someone that's, that's a real fear? Not that, you know, what you feel is not real, but that there might actually
2: be some blowback to, to speaking about it openly. Sure. I think, you know, I think to be really honest with you guys, one of the toughest spaces is online. And I think what's really important for people to consider and why I say when I when I say what I'm about to say is, I think you have to choose and you have to pick when you're ready and you're comfortable to speak about your own mental health. If you're struggling, you're going through someone, you have to choose who you're going to say that to. And I think something that is really damaging is when you do choose to say that to someone and it's met with uh, resistance or uncomfortableness, that can really hurt someone. And that, can, that could stall them telling other people, perhaps uh, reaching out for further support. So I think the negative about people doing that is being ready for what they might receive and being mindful that not everybody's in that place yet of, of fully understanding that this is just like any other health condition. And so the, the biggest fears I see around that are online. When there's some there's some pretty mean and awful stuff that can happen online, you know, on some of those social media platforms. And so for someone who um, is is putting out there what they're going through, I think they have to be mindful and prepared for being met with some, as they call them, trolls and some (laughs) nasty people out there. So I think that's and, and that can really be harmful to someone's mental health, regardless of the state they're in. And, and might prevent them from getting further support and could also um, lead someone down a bad path of, of falling on some of their negative vices and coping strategies some, instead of some of their positive.
1: No, I think that's uh, kind of a phenomenal summarization of, of the way that the discourse is going right now when it comes to mental health. Um, but there's also a bit of, of confusion in terms of how to actually approach it, like you said, whether it be the person who's actually challenged with it or whether it's the people around them even sometimes the the culture of the society at large around them might not even know how to kind of handle it. So Ben, what advice would you give to folks who are maybe suffering with their mental health?
2: Sure. So just want to pick up on, on one thing, uh, which Please. is language and language is so important when we're talking about this stuff and just in, in how the, the question was framed around when people are suffering with their mental health. So, I think I think it's really good to take a step back and, and actually just kind of break down that sentence and that's to say we all have mental health and we and it's on a it's on a spectrum from doing well one day and and struggling the next day and that doesn't mean we have mental illness so I think it's important that when we're talking about mental health instead of framing it as for those who might be suffering uh, to really look at it as for individuals who their mental health might not be as positive as it should one day and when we're talking about suffering, we're we're going into a place of we're already assuming and we're already making assumptions, uh, and it and it does fuel stigma a little bit about we picture um, the awful the awful picture that that a lot of time media runs of when, when there's a mental health story it's a boy in a dark hallway and his knee you know is, he's got his head in between his knees, and that's the picture that we use when we talk about mental health, and I think you know the question when you when you frame it as for those who are suffering with their mental health, I think we automatically go to this place of of, of illness and worry, and so almost if we could frame it as what might be some uh, some signs that someone's mental health is is struggling, uh, and what could we do to improve mental health uh, would open up the dialogue in a way that hey, we all got days where we're not doing as great, but maybe uh, but maybe if we don't think always about the suffering and the, and the and the downside of it. We might be more open to looking at what we can do to promote it, just like we do our physical health. So sorry to sorry to, to hijack the question there. I just no, wanted to please kinda, don't apologize, kind of kind of put that out there and um, and frame it, it more in in a, in a hopeful sense. Does that does that make sense?
1: No, it makes absolute sense. That's that's very very helpful.
0: And we appreciate so, you calling us out on that. I think it's something that is important uh, when it comes to language and the w- uh, words we use. So I think uh, we really appreciated that lesson.
1: What advice would you give to folks who are maybe challenged or struggling with their mental yeah. health?
2: Yeah. So, so I think the the important thing for us to do is is to treat our brain, uh, is to treat ourselves. Uh, as, as strange as, as it is to say, uh, but I love using these metaphors, is in a similar w- way that we do to, to other important things in our lives. So, you know, everyone nowadays has a, has a smartphone, has a computer, and something that we do often is we get, we get a notification to update our operating system. And one of the first things that we do is hit remind me later, not, ma- not now, remind me in a day, We put it off. We think we can take care of it later. I'm busy. I got so much stuff on the go. I don't have time for this. Um, It doesn't feel like a priority. And the thing that we, that we are missing with that is that our operating system, our computer, this, you know, is is telling us something. It needs something. It needs an update because it's not running as smoothly. It needs an update to protect it from a new virus. Uh, It's telling us something. And if we don't listen to it, and we don't do it, what's going to happen is that our, Computer is going to slow down Could get a virus. It's not going to be providing its optimal performance. Uh, So the metaphor here certainly is, is to that of our brain is that our, is that our, our body sends us signals. We get signals just like our, our operating system is sending us signals. And those can be, we're getting a new pain in our back, our necks more sore. We're getting more irritable at work. Uh, We're not enjoying things maybe like we used to. And what do we, what, what do we tell ourselves some sometimes and a lot of times it's like what we're telling our operating system we'll deal with it later. I'll update it later. Not now. I'm too busy. But what happens? We get the flu maybe more easily. Our our systems run down. We can burn out which is another way of saying uh, get sick, irritable, stressed. And the more that we do that, the more that we press remind me later (laughs) that we don't update our operating system, the worse it's going to be in the long term of not Uh, running at optimal speed and optimal health. So I think the key things that we got to do is stay in tune with that. Another way to think about it is, for those of us who have cars, is when that check engine light goes on in our car, the first thing we think about is, man, I hope that light goes off. We don't often think about, why did the engine light go on? What's the engine telling us? What do we need? So I think we got to – anyways, I think it's a fun way to think about it is think about those signals that we might be getting sent in the same way and why is it being sent and what can we do about it. And just like the car might need new oil or have the brakes changed, or um, or whatever it might be, the same thing we got to do to ourselves. We got to we got to be providing the right fuel to our body. So eating healthy, getting enough sleep, um, doing things that we look forward to. For, for some people that might be playing sports, some people might be music, comedy, hanging out with friends um, we got to make sure we're doing those things. And, and if, and if you're doing those things and you're still finding that your check engine lights not going off and your, your, your computer's not running at optimal speed, I think it's really, really important that you bring it in to get it looked at. So you go talk to someone. Uh, I hope, I don't think many people are opening up the back of their computers themselves or, or, you know, taking apart the engine themselves. And just like that, I think we need to be open to the idea that, There's people out there who do this for a living who can really benefit by going to talk to them and not letting that stigma we talked about earlier getting in the way. And as a guy who never turns off his computer physically or
0: figuratively, I think it's really important that you call out that it is quite similar to our physical health. It's something that, while it can't be measured on a daily basis, is something that we should be taking care of on a daily basis. But let's look at mental health from a different perspective. For those who are not facing mental health challenges themselves, but they recognize it in other people, how can they support someone else who may be struggling with their mental health?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that uh, through a lifetime and and more with uh, young people than we have before is people are are talking about it and you might be in a position where uh, someone might talk to you about it or you might pick up on things. And I think the the thing that makes people the most nervous is they have this sense that the role is bigger than it is, that there's more for them to do than than there really is. Certainly, individuals don't have to take it on themselves. They don't have to feel like ah, they need to be the the person that can, quote unquote, fix it. The hero or and heroine. Yeah. And, and and people put that on themselves. And and that's where I think a lot of people get concerned to say, well, I, I can't take this on. This is too big of a burden. I don't know how to deal with it. Or the individual, they themselves might be going through something tough and say, hey, this might be too much for me right now. But I think the, the, I heard a beautiful talk about this once. And I think the thing that stuck with me the most from it is when someone is going through something, whatever it is, one of the biggest benefits, one of the biggest gifts to them is having somebody that they know is in their corner, no matter what. And I think that means different things for different people. And so not telling people what that means for you, but for me, that would mean uh, if I was going through something, someone coming up to me in a really loving and caring way, you know, a compassionate way, saying, uh, and this is this is actually a, a true story of what happens to me when I'm uh, when my mental health is struggling, is I lose my sense of humor. Uh, I'm, I'm usually a pretty silly, goofy guy and love joking around. But but I was in a meeting uh, probably a couple of years ago, and a colleague that that's close with me came up and said, "Hey, what's going on, man?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And they straight up said, is that you're, you're really, you know, you're not, you're not making the same jokes. And you're, you're, you're kind of not, not the same jokey guy. You're not laughing at the same things. And you lost your sense of humor. bit." I'm, I'm just wondering if you're doing okay. And, and the interesting thing is that I hadn't noticed it. I was going through a time of uh, high stress at work. Uh, we just had uh, the birth of our second child, which was the most incredible thing ever. But it was long nights and pretty tired and, and work was, work was high stress. And so I didn't notice that I was giving off those vibes and, uh, and I thanked them for that. And, and I realized that I needed to take some time off work and uh, that's all I needed. And, and, and that person was an awesome workplace friend and friend and checked in with me later and said, Hey, how you doing? And, uh, and I was honest with my boss why I was taking some time off um, to recharge and, and to balance and, and to talk to someone professionally also to make sure that I was practicing what I preached. And uh, I really valued and and appreciated that person connecting with me in that way. So uh, I guess where I'm going with that is to say is that it's different for everyone. But but being empathetic, that is that and what that means is putting yourself in the other person's shoes and thinking, how would they want to be approached with this? And it might not um, come naturally to folks. But I think it's important to also maybe put on a poker face and go into it with with openness and caring to say, hey, this is what I'm noticing is going on. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you no matter what, and if you ever want to talk more about it or or help get some support with it, I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. I want to touch on that point that you mentioned regarding when they're ready to
0: ask for support. I'll be honest, I get very emotionally attached to my friends, and some of my friends have actually gone through really tough things in their lives, whether it be divorces, uh, death of a loved one, even through sometimes suicide. I also know yeah. people who've been actually had their loved ones murdered. Those are things that I uh, thank, thank God I haven't faced yet. Uh, when I hear them talk about those kinds of issues and I want to support them and say, I'm here for you, they might be thinking, hey, what does he know about pain? What does he know about suffering? Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to ask, a, I guess, real talk question here. Ben, yeah. when it comes to mental health, do you think that every single person has hope? I know you're city and official and you might your answer might be default to say yes but do you actually <laughs> think seven billion people in the world all can have hope to work towards their mental health no matter how drastic the pain they've gone through
2: you know i, I know I, I i think you're spot on i think that that through life's turbulences and challenges that, that the obstacles that life throws at us sometimes i think it it can be really hard for for lots of folks at times to have hope um we saw it here recently with with the flooding that occurred. Um, you know I think uh, anybody who's listening who's who's lived through a tragedy and uh, can can appreciate and and relate to the fact that there are there are definitely times where we we all move through uh, places in our life where it's it's fine to hard it's it's hard to find that hope and to and to be positive and optimistic. Um, so I think so I think no, I think you're spot on that that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. As much as I'd like it to be, and, and uh, uh, as much as that would be wonderful, um, but but hard times and and difficult situations uh, are are things that, as we move through those, the more that we can have a support system, the more that we can have people there for us. Even if in that frustration and in that grief, they might curse at you and say, "What do you know? What do you know?" And like you you had mentioned, you know, what does this guy know about that? Um, there is going to come a time probably sooner than you might think where they're still going to remember you being in their corner having their back saying and and you might not be saying hey I know what you're going through you might say I'm here for you whatever that means for you dude or dudette you know Uh, I'm here for you um, and if there's something I can do this is genuine um, I'd like to do it and I don't know I might not know what that is right now and you might not either but I just want you to know that
0: yeah no I think it's reassuring to Know that, you know what, we're in this, I guess letting that person know that we're in this journey together, that, you know what, no matter what happens, I may not be able to know the solution right now, but I'm here for you in whatever way you want, and we'll figure this out together. And also yeah. letting that person know that, or the person that wants to help know that it's, at the end of the day, you can only do so much. We're only human. I think it's, you do the best you can, and you hope for the best. There's only so much, I think, you can ask of a person. And I think keeping that in mind when you talk to these people is something to to keep in, to keep in mind.
1: So, Ben, I think in an ideal world, we'd, we'd all like to be that person. Um, and what we kind of highlighted there were pretty significant life events. Kudos to your colleague for being that, you know, sensitive to, to the way you are and understanding you well and being brave enough to, to reach out and, and kind of lend that, that olive branch out there and, and ask you that question. But, you know, either one, people are nervous to do so or they're not sure um, they can't really differentiate between, you know, like you said, having a bad day or a bad time, and maybe actually struggling with that mental health. So, for something that's maybe not as obvious as a catastrophic life event, or like you, you know, you talked about earlier, the kid sitting in the hall with his head between his legs. What are those key symptoms or signs of someone struggling with their mental health that we can look out for?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, the big thing that we want to look out for, the 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 big big thing is a change in any direction. And what we mean by that is, if, if we know someone to be really extroverted, uh, really enjoys social situations, and uh, is someone who, you know, loves to laugh and gets along well with others, it can be it can be a, a bad day, you know, it can be it can be a, a tough two or three days. But when we start seeing that change in behavior, over several weeks, that's a really big indication for us that that something's going on. And then the, the inverse is true: is that if we know someone who is usually pretty introverted, and I'm using some extreme examples here, right. but but there's but there's in betweens, right? Um, someone who's usually keeps themselves and and doesn't maybe uh, like going out or partying or you know, if we're seeing all of a sudden that individual is really letting loose, and and at first you might be like, "Wow, get it? All right." <laughs> But but you know what? It's not jiving with with their character, and then and and over the weeks, you're like, this is kind of Sally is really going out a lot, and this is like this is not like Sally. So it's a change in, in any direction, and there can be more subtle forms of action, right? And if we're seeing them, uh, it's really important to name them. Just like we had, when I was giving the example earlier about safe talk, is it's to name what we're seeing, and to not come out of nowhere with it and say, you know. For Sally, it's to say, Sally, I notice you've been going out a lot and really enjoying uh, being super social and but you haven't been sleeping much and, and I've also been noticing you've been drinking a lot more than usual. Just wanted to check in to, to see if everything's okay and let you know that I'm here to chat or do whatever, you know, if, if you're ever open for it. Um, so it's to name those things uh, and to be aware of them, but it's really that change in behavior in any direction that that's the most notable noticeable thing that we want to be mindful of
0: so I'm going to take a shift here, Ben, and talk about something you've already addressed regarding language. You already kind of schooled us on not using the word suffering versus struggling. But other words that we use in our language, such as psycho, crazy, schizo, there's some that we say in our everyday language that I think could maybe trigger people that are suffering, sorry, struggling with mental health issues. Uh, Issues,
1: never-ending learning. learning. Yeah, you know what? It's it's
0: it's an everyday battle, but I guess maybe tell us more about the importance of language. uh, Using terms such as "people with schizophrenia" versus "schizophrenic."
2: Yeah, thank you for that. That's uh, I I really appreciate that question as it's something that can be something that's really subtle or something that's that's really in your face, Um, and I think at times consciously, but most times unconsciously. It, it really adds to the stigma and to the misconceptions and, and at times the fear and the shame. So, um, you know, in everyday language and it's something that I honestly, I check myself daily uh, with because it's so ingrained in our languages when we say, you know, that person is crazy. And, and um, we don't have, for the most part, I believe, we don't have maliciousness behind that word and connecting that to someone who is living with mental illness. Um, but for someone who is living with mental illness, when we hear that term, we can attribute that that person is talking about us or that we're not able to be stable and we're not able to be a contributing member to society and we're uh, we're off. And it also reminds us and is reminiscent of times where um, the care that people living with mental illness received was not ethical care and was not compassionate care. And we used to treat individuals we still to some degree in society, but, but from, a, from a hospital and medical perspective, um, very unjustly and, and would lock them away and um, treat them in a way that was, that was disgusting. And so some of this language comes from those times when that's how we used to address people living with mental illness as crazy or psychos. And, um, and it comes from that history that that's, and that's where we have to have these conversations and talk about it because it doesn't come overnight that we started using those terms, is that's where those terms came from. And so if we can use other words, which we absolutely can, um, where uh, even with my uh, five-year-old son, I love when he says it, because I say that's ludicrous instead of that's crazy. And and hearing a five-year-old voice saying hilarious and awesome. (laughs) Uh, so that should be a reason why we do it. But no, there's other words we can use. And But being aware of why those words can be hurtful and harmful is that there's a history behind them. And that's how we used to address and and uh, name people living with mental illness. And to, and, I, and I love the point you brought up is, you know, when we say, you know, that's a schizophrenic, you know, we're labeling that person as their illness, as their diagnosis. When that person is much, much more than that, that person could be a, a sister, a mother, uh, a lawyer, uh, a doctor, a best friend, you know, uh, lots of things, right? A human being. Um, yeah. A human being. Thank you. And so when we label them as their illness, that's very demeaning and degrading and, uh, and disrespectful. And so if someone's living with, uh, diabetes, you know, that person's a diabetic is something we've heard. Also, we should get away from that, but we should not label someone as their illness. We sh- um, that person's a cancer. I've never heard that before. Right? That <laughs> Living with cancer, and we, um, and we immediately become empathetic, and and um, you know, think of what can we can do for that person, and how hard that must be, not um, how awful that person, or how scary or um, or anything else, right? So I think we 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 aren't our illnesses. We aren't th- those labels. We need to shed them. So our language is important.
0: I'm glad you call it a safe space because what I want to do is kind of challenge our perspective because Ajay and I as well as yourself. I think we're on the same page that language is important. We want to be conscious of the language we use, but I'm going to give a voice to the critics out there who might provide a counter argument or a challenge to what we're saying, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. So maybe folks out there are listening to this conversation saying, well, you know what, when it comes to language, I actually don't put that much thought into it. They're just words that I use to say feelings, but I'm I use hyperboles all the time. Maybe I say the word like, you know what, that's insane. And I mean it as radical, but I don't actually mean it as something that has to do with a medical disorder or when I talk about committing suicide. I don't know the history behind the the act of committing a crime. So when I say it, there's no malintent there. Should we really put this much meaning behind language? Is this something that I really need to concern myself about when there's bigger issues in the world, quote unquote?
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and, and to those people, many of whom uh, I'm sure are people that are my friends and my family and people that I love and care about, to to many of those people, I would say, why not try? Why not make the active and conscious attempt to change it? Because what is it going to do to us? What What is it going to provide in our life by using a term that we don't believe to be harmful or thinks harmful. Um, I, I don't see that as, as any, any way to, um, make our lives harder or more difficult or be, uh, overly sensitive or, uh, or, or anything like that. So I say, why not try, you know, and, and if, and if you don't think that it holds weight and, uh, and, and you think it's kind of silly, Hey, teach his own. And, and, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, you'd be open to it, open to the notion of it. Uh, but if you're not, that's okay, but but please know that there are many people out there where where it is harmful to them and it does hurt. And for people who have lost individuals to suicide, um, and who are grieving, and for people who are living with mental illness, um, they would tell you that that it can be really harmful and really hurt them. And uh, so, um, but I say, why not change that behavior and why not try? You know, to be open to it.
1: So, you know, Ben, we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about uh, reaching out and maybe who we can reach out to, uh, even if you're not someone who's necessarily struggling with your mental health, how you can help someone reach out to you or to a professional. But, you know, I think we kind of, at this point, we've established, and in general, people know it's the right thing to do. But what I'd really like to get down to the the real, like, distill, distill the benefits of reaching out. Like, what are the clear just irrefutable benefits for someone when they reach out when they're struggling with their mental health, especially for those who may be skeptical or hesitant.
2: Exactly. For sure. So I think the really important thing to keep in mind with this question is we, as we grow up, we, we go through school and we learn about the things in school that are going to be important later on in life. We learn about history and geography and math and English and uh, lots of other stuff. And, and we're seeing it more and more now in schools, which is wonderful, but we still have some work to do, which is we don't learn that much about mental health. And we certainly don't learn that much about uh, how to work through life's challenges, how to do things like deep breathing, mindfulness, meditation, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. We These aren't things that that are that are taught to us that we have great expertise in. Perhaps, you know, you, you might go to school for that, uh, get a PhD in that. Um, but even then, still, um, you might not be the most balanced uh, to apply those skills that you've learned on yourself. And so where I'm going with that is to say is that these are not uh, the things that you would get from talking to a professional are not things that you would innately know how to do. Are not skills and, and knowledge that you would have and it is so evident to me as someone who's gone to talk to someone professionally um, that it helps us and allows us to see things in a different way
0: some people may be listening to this band and just saying you know what i've gone through some really hard things like a part my partner cheated on me i've uh, i have daily thoughts about existential dread you're telling me that simple exercise is just as breathing will make that go away or will help me out what would you say to those folks
2: i would say i am so confident that it might not take those thoughts fully away it might not solve all the problems but it absolutely will contribute in a positive way there's no doubt in my mind that if you if you really leaned into it and you really gave it a chance that it would help would it would it take away all those dreadful thoughts would it take away the pain um perhaps not but would it contribute in a, in a positive way to getting you on the right track to um to being in a better space i feel super confident in that and 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 the science is behind it there's the, the evidence is behind it, the research is behind it um that uh you know there's there's incredible research out there that shows individuals living with you know chronic depression th- their recovery rates from the combination of therapy and mindfulness and healthy living uh, vastly, vastly outweighed those who are just getting one of those three. So when you combine therapy with healthy lifestyle and mindfulness, um, things like breathing, uh, those individuals, their success rate of staying in recovery, staying healthy, staying well, vastly outweighed those who were just doing one thing like medication or just treatment or just healthy living without the others.
0: You mentioned therapy, and we've established that people should reach out for help. But for those who cannot afford help, either due to time or money, are there other solutions that they should be following through?
2: For sure. I mean, we 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 do live in a in a caring, thoughtful society, and there is lots of options. You know, wherever possible, for someone who is um, going through some challenges with their mental health or having mental illness, absolutely. Uh, therapy from a, a regulated health professional is the way to go. Uh, when medication is needed, take that medication. Combine it with therapy and healthy lifestyle. When when that's not possible for uh, financial reasons, um, depending on where you live in Canada, there are there are some great resources. So there's community health and resource mm-hmm. centers uh, in in different cities across this province and across mm-hmm. the country. Where if you live in that region, uh, you can get a certain a certain amount of uh, sessions covered by the government. Um, there are also incredible things out there like crisis lines, distress center supports uh, for kids and youth. There's Kids Help Phone, incredible, incredible resources, Kids Help Phone, where there's crisis chats as well. So you can, you can text chat somebody, a counselor live um, if you're in a place where talking on the phone uh, isn't right for you or, or is something that, that you're not comfortable with. So, um, locally here, uh, across Ontario, we've got some incredible services that, that you can access through the phone and, 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 chat services. Um, so there are some things out there for you. Uh, certainly that's one area globally and through our country that, that, you know, we'd love to see some improvements on that, that we live in a society that really values, um, access to healthcare and, and it being, uh, something that, that is a, fundamental right to all Canadians, so that is something that we'd love to see improvements on across the country is um, is folks being able to access services like we can. Other health treatments, um, we're seeing some improvements, but uh, for those who don't have financial support, there are some options out there, and and hopefully through uh, conversations like this and more positive movements, we'll see more and more uh, come available. So there are some. Uh, we'd love to see more, certainly. Well, that's good to know. Just putting it right out there, you
1: know, because mental health has entered the public discourse, which of course is a positive thing. Do you believe though that there is some segment of the population that may conflate mental health issues with any negative feelings or difficulties in general in their life?
2: You, you know what? Yes, for sure, uh, I, I do, and and that's part of the, the education and the awareness and um, that we need to be having. Uh, but it is also something that. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about in the past that, you know, when someone says they're starving, when in fact they're hungry, um, and it's about back to language. So when someone says, and this is what we hear this from our, our, our friends working, um, as clinicians in the school board, we hear all the time, the young person's coming to them and says, you know, I'm depressed and I'm anxious and, I think what's really important is that we don't discount what that young person's feeling and that we don't take what they're saying seriously, but that we also use it as an opportunity to talk to them about what depression is and what anxiety is and, and also learning about what is going on in their life. Um, so <clears throat> I think in that example, I think it's great that that young person is reaching out to a counselor at school and and letting them know that they believe themselves to be depressed. Um, and in, And in some cases, and in many cases, they might be. And in some cases and in many cases, they're not. But I think it's a great thing that they're sitting in their counselor's office or their social worker's office uh, and having that conversation. So <clears throat> is, it, is it hurting the, the dialogue? Is it, is it harmful? I don't think so. I think what's important is that, uh, that we treat everybody who's saying these things to us. We, we give them the benefit of the doubt and we, we take an empathetic approach and uh we learn about what they are going through to figure out what we might need and in some cases we that person might need someone that they trust to talk to and that and that conversation might do it for them they had a really tough day and so they're telling us oh this day is so bad i'm so depressed and and saying okay so tell me about your day and then you don't have to challenge them to say well i don't hey josh i don't think you're depressed i think you just had a really shitty day i don't think you need to do that um I think you need to, to listen to Josh and, and be there and, and have his back. Um, but I also think it's important when the opportunity does provide, maybe not within that moment, but later down the road, um, to let them know what they're going through is totally normal. And that we all have peaks and valleys. You know, I was sharing earlier that we all struggle at times. Uh, we all have days that we're, we're not feeling our best selves, where we need a boost. Uh, we need a break and we should be taking them. We should be listening to ourselves. Um, so, I think the language and the more open we are about this conversation, the more we're hearing some of these views thrown at times that um, th- that it might not be accurate. But I don't think it's harming the discussion. I don't think it's uh, hurting any uh, hurting anybody. I think uh, for those individuals who are living with mental illness, we want to be respectful to, to what they're going through and, and to their realities and not diminish what they're feeling. Uh, but if somebody is saying that they feel that way, we should take it seriously, but then we should also look for an opportunity to have a conversation with them, maybe not in that moment, about what they're really going through and what they're really feeling and helping them choose the right words.
0: What about those folks, Ben, that, you know what, might just be using hyperbole to a dramatic effect? You've already mentioned a few examples, but people don't even know the difference between having anxiety or feeling anxious or nervous. Now, the folks who may not be going through mental health issues, but they're just saying these things either to conflate their feelings of negativity with actual disorders. You're saying to us that those people don't harm the conversation. Do you not think it actually takes away, it's kind of like the big bad wolf, uh, sorry, wrong story. Um, the boy who cried wolf. If you say it enough times, people may not actually give severity to those who actually are feeling mental health issues. Are you saying that there's no impact whatsoever by people over conflating mental health disorders with actual feelings and negativity?
2: You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, as much as I'm on the real talk round table here, I'm trying to remain hopeful, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a, a, a positive and, and optimistic person with this. I do, I do agree. And I do feel like that to some extent, um, there are there are individuals who are who are knowingly using the language wrong, uh, in some cases to, to to raise awareness of themselves and to get some attention. Um, but I also think that underlying that is that that might be someone who does need some more support and love in their life and maybe aren't getting it in, in some positive ways. Um, but I also think that, uh, I love the, the, the boy who cried wolf example. It's actually a story that I, uh, I tell to my son often when he says that his brother hit him when he really didn't or, uh, or other silly things that he tells me and I use that example a lot with him um, and I think what's different from that story than someone saying uh, for example I, I have anxiety I have anxiety I, I have anxiety and you know by the fourth time someone doesn't listen to them um, is for us to stop and ask that person who's saying that and saying well what's going on what are you feeling you know and and okay well what I'm hearing is uh, is that you're having a really tough day or is that You know, you're not getting along with one of your friends. So I think it's important that we have that dialogue and we take that as an opportunity. And if that person is continuously doing that, we use as an opportunity to try to to try to check them and say, hey, I don't I don't think this is depression. I don't think this is anxiety. I think you're having a tough go. And I think this is um, a tough situation. So I think, you know, some polite challenging is in order uh, to those individuals who are constantly doing that um, when when we, we know and we can see that there's not more to it, uh, I think it's important to do that uh, and to call it out to some degree in a in a, in a safe way. Um, but I also think we also need to be mindful of what else is going on there. If they're constantly telling us that, what else might that person not be getting uh, that they need uh, to do that, or they feel that they need to do that? And I think we agree with that. We
0: want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but we also want people to recognize the power of their words, like we discussed Absolutely. today. And I think it always comes back to education. So maybe to end off this uh, episode. You've already mentioned quite a few resources that people can go to, but are there any other lasting resources that people should
2: reach out to that you haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. I, I really want to mention that collectively, for those of us who work in this field and, and who do this type of work, I would love to encourage people um, to, to learn more about the topic, You know, to learn more about mental health, to learn more about mental illness, and to do it from Trusted sources, you know. There's so much of this that happens on TV and the media, movies, and, and it is. It's that's not the place to to be basing um, your beliefs and understanding about mental health and mental illness from those places. There's so many misconceptions and and uh, uh, just things that don't happen in reality that happen in the movies or on TV or, or even in how um, the news can sometimes portray this topic. So, so I really encourage people to learn more about mental health, mental illness from trusted sources like uh, the Canadian Mental Health Association, the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, the Mental Health Commission of Canada. If you Google any of those uh, incredible uh, organizations who are doing amazing work, locally in Ottawa, there's the Royal Ottawa. We've, we've got our work that uh, we've got videos and an activity guide. At have that talk.ca in French. So we've got activity guides and videos that were built with clinicians and people with lived and living experience. And that's another really important part, right? Is that these scientists and medical doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists have a huge amount of information and provide so much, but so do people with lived experience and living experience. Uh, they have so much to contribute. And so when we work together with them to produce something like our have that talk videos and our activity guides. Uh, I think it provides a really honest and, and helpful portrayal of what is mental health, what is mental illness, what stigma, and what can we do about it. So I'd really encourage people to to check out those organizations I mentioned. Google them, you know, Google have that talk, uh, and and learn a little bit about it, and maybe take a course. You know, maybe take a safe talk, take assist, take mental health first aid, uh, learn more about it, and and if you feel comfortable and it's something that that's okay to you. Um, you know, reach out to someone when you need it and, and be there for someone uh, at a time where they would need it. And it doesn't have to be a bigger, or scarier role than just letting them know you're there for them. And when, if you're someone who's going through that, you know, take that step. If it feels uncomfortable and, and, and Google something like e lists different, uh, treatment services that are available and, and take that step and reach out. And, uh, I'm confident that that you'll benefit from it and it'll be something that's a positive in your life
0: it's a topic with multiple dimensions and mental illness indirectly affects all canadians at some time through either family member friend or loved one so i think it's something that with any other topic needs more education needs more discussion but i think it's taking the first step to ask for help and have the discussion like we discussed today and on that note ben we just want to thank you so much for that conversation we've learned a lot personally we learned things about language uh, who to reach out to for help the signs to look for, just among a few questions, and we really appreciate you having this candid discussion with us.
1: Yeah, Ben, I'd just like to kind of echo the same. Um, I don't think we could have had a a better conversation about this, but I think what's most important to take away from this is that we continue to have that conversation. Um, Like Prakash said, this was very educational, very informative, but more important than anything else is eye-opening. Um, You know, something that we kind of chatted about before is that obviously it does touch a lot of our lives. I would say even, you know, like Prakash said, personally it's touched his life. And I would say the same for myself. Um, And and I didn't even know until I got older because of a lot of the reasons we talked about. You know, it wasn't something that we really talked about. Um, It wasn't an open discussion or open forum. And maybe people didn't even know how. And that's the other thing is is the language, right, and the stigma around it. Um, So I'm really happy we addressed that. Um, And I'm happy that you know we were, we were lucky enough to have you come and talk to us today um and whoever's listening you know this has been a master class basically in in not only mental health awareness but how to move forward with it um and and further further depth, the dialogue and and the improvement so can't thank you enough um, I think the way we can maybe the next next step we could take towards that is to really just continue promoting these these resources these avenues that people can take if you do have an issue you don't know how to address it or you know someone who does you know we'll be sure to post this on the site we'll add some links to these resources um, and Ben if nothing else, please just keep doing the good work that you're doing
2: thanks guys I really really appreciate the uh, opportunity and and the the work you guys are doing to raise awareness for this and uh, to sharing your your stories as well and, and contributing to this dialogue means a lot, and uh, really appreciative of this opportunity, guys. Thanks so much. The pleasure is ours.
0: So it looks like the Raptors did get that Game Six win. Listening back to the interview was a good opportunity to reflect on how far we've come. What do you mean, our podcast? No, man, the Raptors, North American champions, baby. <laughs> but in all seriousness,
1: not to toot our own horn. But those were some tough questions we asked ben but we do appreciate him answering them as openly and candidly as possible one of my favorite things about this episode is how we were able to speak so openly about heavy topics such as suicide we really appreciate ben being honest about the
0: risks of talking about mental health online as well as how to discuss mental health responsibly talking about mental health is the only way to overcome his challenges and to ben's point it's easy to assist people with one-off conversations but true support requires a continued dialogue we don't expect this episode or one discussion to be a solution, but one of many methods to help those who are struggling. But you do need to ensure that you're ready to have those conversations, as well as take care of your own mental health first when trying to help others and not be a martyr. And that's where the mental health methods come in. Let's go over a few of the techniques that were mentioned. All right, so you got deep breathing which sounds self-explanatory, but most people are not really conscious of how they breathe. And if you don't breathe properly, you'll increase the level of carbon dioxide in your body, which can trigger stress responses that are similar to anxiety and panic attacks. So will see it again. Breathe deeply. Yoga and
1: meditation are also methods that incorporate deep breathing, along with mindfulness. So, feel free
0: to take up yoga, just please don't be annoying about it on social media. (laughs) Please don't. And for those wondering, mindfulness means being in the present. I'll say from personal experience, there are times in my life when life gets hectic and a week becomes a blur. It's actually scary when I notice that I have blackouts of time when life just passes me by, especially when I'm on a computer or phone all day and I don't even realize it. That's why I started taking my long walks on Sunday nights before I started my work week to reflect on my life and give myself a break from technology. Wow, you've gone full on uncle with the Sunday night walks. (laughs) How's it been going? Uh, It's been great, man, except I've been freezing in the winter, but I can actually feel a difference. But nothing beats traditional exercise and healthy eating. It's the only panacea I've seen for most health scenarios. Last thing I will say, though, is that I personally love entertainment when it comes to real life being reflected accurately. And there is no show that does it better than when it comes to mental health than BoJack Horseman. Oh my God, here he goes again. Listen, stop trying to get me to watch this show, okay? Jeez, man, listen, listen, hear me out, man. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and the reason why I'm mentioning it in this podcast is because it tackles depression and self-destructive behavior in the most realistic way I've seen, while also being witty with its humor. I know most fans of the show appreciate its take on the subject, making them feel less alone and adding perfect irony to the fact that TV's most human character is a horse. Alright, I didn't know we were sponsored
1: by Netflix, now you know. but your love for horses pretty much covers it. For our listeners, don't forget to follow our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for updates. As always, feel free to share your comments with us, and if there are any future topics that you'd like us to explore, please let us know. Finally, if you like what we discussed today, feel free to share it with your family and friends. As always, we do appreciate the support. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us on the next episode of The Real Talk Roundtable.